0: 90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science.
1: Hey, Shannon, how are you? Uh,
0: Living in mountain time, man.
1: Well, I'm living in central time.
0: (laughs) I love it. We just traded places completely.
1: We did, (laughs) uh, and we're back after our three-week hiatus.
0: Uh, Yes, yeah. So you're in a... Different state. I'm back in your old state, and uh, it's cold here, man.
1: Well, it's been uh, hot and stormy here. We've had tornado warnings the last few nights, uh, and we've had several large, long-track tornadoes go within 20 miles of the house.
0: Uh, yeah, um, I was. I'm out at field camp, obviously Colorado, and we left uh, the day before the really big stuff started to hit out there, and it is crazy at home my husband said you know there's like a 4 a.m tornado which is not so 4 a.m yeah
1: yeah so there was some really weird timing there were some late ones Uh, we've had enough rain from these training storms that it's causing massive flooding evacuation of towns today uh, national news was broadcasting live as barges collided with a dam that nobody knew if it was going to hold.
0: Yes, in, that was insane. What was even more insane is there were people on the dam like half an hour after it happened, which seemed not smart.
1: <laughs> but They had hard hats, that's okay.
0: <laughs> as long as you've got your PPE. Um, yeah, if you <laughs> haven't seen those damn videos of the barges, <laughs> 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 I mean, you have to watch it. That, if you think floodwaters are no big deal that water crushes those barges like an empty soda can unbelievable
1: yeah the first one goes down within like 10 or 15 seconds
0: yes like totally totally gone yep my students and i were watching it and i said oh there goes all your amazon stuff guys (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah unbelievable flooding that's going on it's so interesting because i mean out here in colorado they've also had as you know (laughs) a really wet year and we had snow the first day of camp on monday
1: yeah it's (laughs) been it's been strange and because of all the the moisture i've got some friends that live on one of the lakes out here uh they took up the hobby of snake shooting because all of the snakes were getting driven out as the floodwaters came up and trying to come into their house.
0: Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Oh, I'm afraid we're going to be dealing with that out here, too, but it's still too cold for them to be up and about, so I'm just going to act like we're not having this conversation and we'll see what happens.
1: (laughs) Yes. Moving back here, definitely uh, the memories are coming back quick of (laughs) how things work.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's quite a bit more... um, not more different flora and fauna once you get humidity in the air.
1: <laughs> yeah, and let me tell you the the things growing here that didn't grow in Colorado are killing me allergy wise. Oh,
0: <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I could see that too.
1: <laughs> and you know, I'm having some fun with trying to keep. Like, my machine's from rusting in my shop building because it's so humid.
0: I never had to deal with that. (laughs) Yep. Oh, yeah. It's a whole new set of problems, that's for sure. But at least there's grass to hold the dirt in place, which I can't say for out here.
1: (laughs) It's true. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So, anyway, during our hiatus, uh, other than you going to field camp and me moving and spending lots of time doing that, uh, anything else fun happened?
0: I mean, I got through finals and packed up to come out here. That's that's really about it. My daughter turned two. People might remember when I was gone for a while because of that. So that was exciting. She was very excited. She ate a lot of cake.
1: That's awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was funny because it's like my son didn't really ever want to have anything to do with cake. And my daughter is all in. <laughs> <laughs> so, yep, she turned two right before we left. And that was the the most exciting thing that's happened. Yeah. It's been fairly eventful since we got here weather-wise, but besides that, going well so far.
1: (laughs) Well, all right, fun. So we will be back to doing, you know, we used to call these summer shorts, but they never turned out to be that short.
0: No, (laughs) that's true. (laughs) So
1: we might try the summer shorts title again. We'll see how it goes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We, We shall endeavor to live up to these summer shorts
1: right especially uh you know we'll have podcasts coming out now uh, every friday like they regularly do uh, but the next two weeks i'm going to be on travel to various parts of the country and other countries
0: <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> so just like normal then huh
1: so just like normal yep. yes yep. excellent <laughs> so what are we going to talk about in our return for, to field camp
0: yay <laughs> it will be short because i know you don't want to talk about it we're going to talk about rocks <laughs>
1: well fine Uh
0: -uh. i've made so many geophysics jokes and there's no geophysicist here this this year and it makes me really sad
1: (laughs) (sighs) yes nobody can reply with math yeah questions
0: exactly (laughs) so i thought that you know we talked about the morrison i don't remember if it was actually it wasn't when i was at camp last year but the morrison formation is a formation out here that's fairly famous and a lot of people really like that show So I thought we would go to a little bit more boring (laughs) formation, but it's actually more exciting for me because this is what I like. And I thought that we would stick on that sort of track and talk about the Dakota group because it makes a very prominent topographic feature. And if you've ever been to this area of the world, you would have seen this before.
1: Well, so there's one thing I think we need to clarify before we even get into what the Dakota group is. Oh, no. So you're saying the Dakota group and the Morrison <laughs> formation. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what's the difference between a group and a formation?
0: So all those words are, group, formation, member, unit, are subdivisions within a certain genetic package of rocks. And by genetic package, I mean a related package. They're related by deposition, usually, and obviously all of a certain time period.
1: So we're using a lot of anthropomorphic or biological terms here.
0: (laughs) It's jargon. Yeah. Is that what you want? (laughs) So the Dakota group is just made up of three different formations. So the Morrison is its own little formation. And the Dakota group is made up of three formations. It's a whole bunch of clastic rocks that are related, but what's really cool about them is sort of the environments they were deposited in. And so that's, that's how they're related. And these are Cretaceous rocks that come after the Morrison was deposited. So I say Dakota group, but we're going to break it down into their different formations, just because they're all three super interesting.
1: So deposited later means they're on top of the Morrison. Correct. And so, what what are these
0: so formations? the Morrison, if you'll remember, or if you want to go back and listen to that episode, you've got that number memorized, right?
1: Uh, of course. Yeah,
0: okay. <laughs> so, our episode about the Morrison Formation. Everyone loves the Morrison because it's full of dinosaurs. It was this big flat, like a mud flat with big rivers and lakes in it. And it's made up of these red and green mudstones with some sandstones in them. So as you move forward in time, you're moving out of the Jurassic and into the Cretaceous. And so the Dakota group is made up of these three formations, the Muddy Sandstone, the Glen Cairn Shale, and the Lytle Plainview Sandstone. And they're not as pretty as the Morrison in terms of color. They don't have dinosaur bones, but they do have a lot of other fun stuff that we'll talk about.
1: Right. And for reference is episode 163. Which, funny enough, is called Everybody Loves Dinos.
0: <laughs> it's so true, man. That's what everyone wants to find in the Morrison. And then they come and look in the Morrison, and you're like, why is there just all this mud? Where's my dinosaur bones?
1: Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you can get some fossils in the in the uh, Dakota group, too. Not as fun as dinosaurs, but they're still there.
1: Right. and But so getting back to the, the Dakota group, they may not be very pretty themselves but the topography they form can be really gorgeous actually
0: right and so if you like i said if you've ever been in the side of the world you will see these huge ridges they're sort of you know rocks are deposited horizontally and these rocks are at like a 45 50 degree angle tilted up in the air and they form these things called hogbacks which you're in arkansas you're from arkansas explain to me why they call these ridges hogbacks
1: Well, you see, (laughs) if you look at the Arkansas Razorback, (laughs) no, so this is, this is a very, I don't know, again, biologically inspired, I guess you could say feature name. Mm
0: -hmm. Right, exactly. So that's what I tell my students, you know, is that hogs have these sort of linear ridges on their backs of really bristly hair. And so these form. Just that. They form these linear ridges that are up in the air. They're really spectacular when you walk through them. And if you've ever been to Canyon City, maybe you've gone to Skyline Drive. And it's made up of, well, it's got the Morrison, but the Hogback, the really scary part that the road is in, is all the Dakota group. And so if you've been to Skyline Drive in Canyon City, then you've seen all of these lower Cretaceous units that we're about to talk about.
1: But you were probably looking at at the view, not at the... <laughs> kind of muddy (laughs) stuff that you were driving on.
0: Hey, hey now. (laughs) Look, sedimentary rocks are ugly. I mean, they're pretty in their own way, right? But they're not really pretty igneous rocks. But what's really interesting to me are the processes that make them. And I love to think about the ancient environments of deposition, because I said that these are sandstones and shales. Those are sort of fluvial meaning rivers, so they're rivers and marine sediments. And that's not what's happening in Colorado today. So it's really cool to take this sort of mind vacation back to what this stuff looked like when it was getting laid down.
1: But even though the environment was different, we were pretty much at the same spot that we are now.
0: Right. So this is during the Cretaceous. um, The continental configuration of the Americas, at least not of the rest of the world, looks much like it did today. But the difference was, climatically speaking, the Cretaceous was really hot.
1: Yeah, so there was no ice on the surface of the Earth at this point.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. And when we started to de- deposit the Dakota group, we were getting hotter by the second. Some of the hottest times were in this part of the Cretaceous. And so it's really hot. We're kind of close to the edge of the continent because so we haven't built all of the western part of the US yet, but that's what's going on tectonically at this time. Uh, the western part of the US had what we call the severe orogeny. Maybe if you've read this word, I just want to let you know. It's S E V I E R, but it's pronounced severe. Because...
1: Right. If, if you were to sound it out, that's sort of what you would guess.
0: Right. Exactly. Not sevier, like some people want to say. Um, but so this is a subduction zone. So we had these series of volcanic island arcs. So these little volcanoes that were welding itself against the side, the western portion of the North American uh, craton. And so as you're doing that, you're raising up the land, right? Subduction zones are a mountain building event. And so if you're going to raise up the land somewhere, you got to lower it down somewhere else. So at this time, here in Colorado, there was uplift way to the west. And so Colorado started to down warp. Because if you're lifting something up, you got to make a hole to put it in. Okay. And so all that uplift provided all the material that would eventually become the Dakota group.
1: Right. And so going back to the tectonic bits here, so the, this craton is sort of the, the core of the continent. Right. And okay. you, you're welding all this stuff onto it. The forces to do that are absolutely <laughs> massive. <laughs> yes. And so you start getting a lot of deformation. And then when you put these things uh, high in the air, erosion starts to act on them, it goes downhill, which in this case is into Colorado.
0: Exactly. And so I, the way I illustrated this today when I was um, giving this lecture to my students was that I had one of these you know, meter-long rulers that was metal, and so it was kind of bendy, and I squeezed it together. And so one end goes up, one end goes down, it looks kind of like a sine wave, which is Exactly like you're doing to the crust, right? On a very smoothed out scale.
1: Right. So this is like a solid beam bending problem.
0: Exactly. Okay. So the Dakota group is recording what happens as we have that basin development, right? Because to get rocks deposited, you got to have a hole to put them in. It's something that we call accommodation space. And as that basin begins to develop, it eventually becomes what is known as the Western Interior Cretaceous Seaway. The Wicks. Yay. So that's a big mouthful of stuff. But we'll let's step through what these guys look like and the environments that they were made of. And the Wicks will make more sense. And everybody loves the Wicks because you build this ocean and you get all kinds of crazy fossils in it. So we'll get to that. But let's start with the Dakota Group. Since this is a summer short, right? Exactly. <laughs> so we'll start with the Lido Plainview Sandstone. And this is the base of the Dakota Group. It's a huge package of sand, and it is just massive. Like, you can have a lot of sandstones and have sort of tiny little lenses in it. This stuff is huge. So the lateral plane view is massive. It's maybe about 50 meters thick. I can't even imagine bending this stuff, right? And it's this quartz aronite, which means it's a really clean quartz sandstone that is cemented with quartz as well.
1: Right. This is one of those triangle things where we were trying to classify different types of, <laughs> of rock mm.
0: <laughs>
1: seemed silly instead of just you know reporting percentages to me but okay so we named it quartzaronite
0: ah, i figured you'd already be asleep by now since i brought up the triangle um <laughs> <laughs> so it's it is pretty in its own way in terms of it's not pretty by color because it's kind of boring tan color but it has these awesome large-scale cross beds in it so like the the layers kind of swoop around each other, and you have a lot of plant fossils and like wood fossils. And this is because your this represents a huge fluvial system that was starting to drain those mountains that were off to the west. And so just think about any river that you know and love, right? There's always a lot of plants and woody stuff around it. And so you can get some like big tree trunks and stuff that are um, preserved in the Lido view. But really the tectonic part of the Lido view is my favorite.
1: Right, and so I'm curious if you've got, I would say this is a moderate energy environment. You're yeah. draining from something high, but you're pretty far away from it. How exactly. consistent is the grain size in this?
0: Uh, it's actually really consistent, and that is indicative of a mature sand, which means it's traveled a long way. So these quartzes are really well-rounded, and they're really well-sorted. Everything else has kind of fallen out or been you know, lost to erosion. Feldspars spars are rectangular, so they don't last very long when you start to transport them. And these quartzes are what's left at the end of the line, right? So even though you're eroding this stuff, it's just what you said. It's a long way away. So you've got a very clean, as we'd call it, uh, well-rounded, well-sorted quartz arenite. Okay. Yeah. And that also has to do with this tectonic stuff that's happened to it that I love so much, and that's cataclasis banding.
1: Yeah, so again, more fun <laughs> names.
0: <laughs> this is one of my favorite things to say. I really like it. I, I feel like it's like, what's that fault thing that you like to say that I always mispronounce?
1: pseudotaculite
0: Yeah, mm-hmm, there you go. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, so cataclasis is another high-energy process, right?
0: Right, exactly. So these things are deposited, roughly horizontally right because that's how rocks work in gravity um but they're not horizontal now and they had to get uplifted sometime and so th- when they got uplifted they obviously started to break these guys aren't going to bend okay it's quartz and so these cataclasis bands are these bands they're bright white and they don't erode very well because what they are are just crushed up pieces of quartz so as mountain building goes on you're squishing these rocks up in the air and they can't bend. So they break and they break along these little planes. And if you were to look at one of these bands under a microscope, all you see are just like crushed up quartz cemented together with more quartz, and they intersect all different angles. There's no rhyme or reason to them. Although I'm sure on some level there is, but <laughs> they make the rock look really cool. It looks like a spider web throughout the whole thing.
1: Yeah. It's kind of like if you had a, uh a piece of safety glass and tried to bend it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It
1: it looks very similar.
0: Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it is glass basically. So, right. (laughs) Um, so that's how you can tell the Lido plain view apart from the other big sandstone in the Dakota group. But first we have to go to the Glencairn shale and this guy is not pretty to look at at all, but it really represents the time when this Cretaceous seaway develops. And that's really cool.
1: So being a shale and some siltstone too, this is even smaller grain sizes, which is indicating a lower energy environment.
0: Yep. Super low. So you've got this downwarping, and because it's so hot and you don't have any glaciers, you have really high sea level. So you make this down warping and the oceans start to come into the continent. All right. And they're coming from the north and they're coming from the proto Gulf of Mexico. Okay. So they're being, we're being incursions by the sea from the north and the south. And while this is happening, and these are about to sort of touch each other, you know, these are really quiet. You're driving ocean water up onto the continent, which we call a seas. That's the name of marine stuff that's on top of continental crust.
1: Right. And so there is no real discernible flow. Here. Right. <laughs> well, we're not flowing downhill. We're pushing water uphill. So, as it's relatively still, all the big stuff has already settled out, and we get these really fine, muddy, gross-looking, yeah, siltstones.
0: 100%. That is exactly true. Um, so this is a process. This has happened, you know, over a long time you have this seaway being here. So sometimes the seaway is super shallow and gross and it's anoxic and it doesn't have any flow. It's not really connected all the way through yet. You know, it's kind of just pockets and it's yucky. And then sometimes it gets even higher, connects all the way through and you get a little bit more circulation and you'll get some fossils in there and some stuff that can start to live in this anoxic water. The interior seaway never really got above about 200 meters in depth. So it's fairly shallow, but that shallow stagnant water, like you were just talking about, you can't get stuff living in it. So when it would connect and you'd have some circulation, you could have little animals. And so you do see some burrows like in the top of the Glencairn shale. And it's really about the most exciting thing there is visually looking at it.
1: Yeah. and, I would assume here that since this is a product of constantly changing water levels that are incurring somewhere they shouldn't be, (laughs) uh, that the the thickness is probably not very uniform on this.
0: No, not at all. Um, There's lots of cycles that are happening. And so you've got your fine-grained, really fissile black shale that will fine upwards into a more silty layer as the ocean gets lower. And then the ocean will go high again, and you'll get a different sized depth of shale deposited. So, yeah, so we just counted as one big formation. If you wanted to get really ticky-tacky, you could define that formation into the different units. So you've got a unit of shale, a unit of sandstone or siltstone, and then a unit of shale. But we know I am not that kind of splitter, so...
1: And this is what people do when they make strat columns, which was one of my least favorite
0: activities. (laughs) And it is what my students are doing this week, and it's probably their least favorite activity so far. Let me tell you.
1: (laughs) I remember one unit that was relatively, or one formation that was relatively complicated, and we had to do a centimeter by centimeter description (laughs) of like tens of meters of section. It was just absolutely painful.
0: Oh, see, I love doing that. When I have geophysicists in my field, Field class, um, we do a strat column that is 500 feet long, and I make him do it on decimeter scale. Yeah. Ha yeah. Ha. <laughs> Look, this is important stuff. If you're talking about, you know, you just lump this whole Glencairn shale. That's just millions of years of sea level changes. That's important to somebody.
1: Uh, yes, but it probably all has a pretty similar velocity.
0: Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> uh, not on GPR, it doesn't.
1: <laughs> Send your hate mail to Shannon and <laughs> I won't read it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that—that's the Glen It's not all that interesting, but then we get to the Muddy Sandstone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so now this is really hard, and I this year I've taken to call it the Capital M Muddy. Because that's its name, not what's in it. It's actually not really very muddy at all. Um, but it's very important because this is actually the thing that's creating the hogbacks. Um, that's it's the face that you see on all of the hogbacks in and around Canyon City. And it's very much like the Lytle. It's a good clean sandstone.
1: Yeah, it's actually very clean.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So... It represents a lot of environments. It's a big river at first, um, which it also has these pieces of fossilized wood in it, that existed when the shoreline of the wicks was farther to the east because that interior seaway sort of migrated back and forth. But as sea level rose again, the river sands now become beach sands and you get a lot more changes in the cross bedding directions and so those make some pretty impressive outcrops.
1: Right, and this again is a pretty large formation, okay. you know, many, many meters, Yes, and it's also a pretty brittle formation, so you get lots of more traditional rock mechanics, rock failure types of things happening, not so much folding.
0: Oh, you'd love it. There's so many 60, 120 things going on in there.
1: Oh, Yeah. <laughs> So there's a lot of good fracture mechanics going on, a little bit less exciting in terms of, I'm going to take all these strike and dips and plot them and do some statistics and learn about the plunger. No, you're not going to get that. But you can back out some things about principal stress directions and fun things like that based on the orientation of these fractures.
0: Right. Yeah. You have to do some climbing to get the fracture orientations, though. And I will say that no one seems real interested in doing that. So we just go, huh, look at all those fractures. And then we move on. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: uh, yes. uh, you're welcome. <laughs> um, but at the top of the muddy are some really awesome burrows. I'll tell you, it's some of the most impressive chunks of rock that have all these intersecting burrows in it that I have seen. It's really neat.
1: Yeah, and I I don't know what made them, do you?
0: No, I have no idea. <laughs> I know a guy that knows, though. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually a whole... Different subset of geology is a thing called <laughs> you can be an ichnologist, and that's different from a paleontologist. So, a paleontologist is interested in either the molds or the casts of fossils or the actual fossils themselves and the things that made them. An ichnologist looks at the traces left behind by these things and then figures out what kind of animals they were.
1: Conveniently called trace fossils.
0: Yes, exactly. But you think paleomagnetism is magic? This is ridiculous stuff to me. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to tell me that you can look at this hole made 180 million years ago and tell me what kind of creature is in it. But they can.
1: Yeah, and I, I think there's some pretty cool things that they know about. Well, you know, the way that we think this creature moved, it made certain features in the holes that we can see or not see.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So somebody knows what they are. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) But by looking at these trace fossils, they're actually really important because that's what helps you tell apart, you know, these huge sand packages. Like here we can see, oh, you know, well, the Lytle is below the Glen Cairn, which is below the Muddy. But if you just had two pieces of those rocks, they'd be really hard to tell apart because they both look very similar compositionally. But they have different trace fossils.
1: Right. And so one thing that, you know, some different formations have what we would call a sharp contact.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: It's it's really blatantly obvious where one formation stops, the next formation starts.
0: Right.
1: Sedimentary stuff always gave me a little bit of the queasies because <laughs> it's like, well, this is this formation. And then, you know, over this meter it grades into this other thing. And we ignore Don- that.
0: John, I need to tell you, it's not an exact science. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Yeah. Um, People that are more engineering-minded hate this so much. (laughs) And the Muddy is no exception because it has this transition zone (laughs) that is not a sandstone, not a shale. It goes back and forth, and yeah.
1: Well, see, here's what kills me, though. You say this, and then on your map, it's going to be a distinct (laughs) boundary between two
0: colors. (laughs) You want to smudge it up a little bit? Will that make you happy?
1: You know, I mean, if one of them's yellow and one of them's blue, it should be green.
0: (laughs) You're absolutely right. It should be. I'll make a little line for you this year. I'll explain this, and then the whole pencil lead will be larger than (laughs) most of that interaction zone. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah it's true on the scale of the the geologic maps that you're making it is finer than the resolution of those maps but that is something that i think gets lost a lot of times when people are looking at maps is like no not all that often is this a sharp contact that one or two meters of section where it grades into something else represents hundreds of thousands of years in some cases that you're just saying oh that's less than a pencil width
0: yeah you're exactly right and that is the importance of having good descriptions because when you go to those units when you're looking at that map there should be something that says gradational contact
1: yes absolutely but these are things that i think get lost when people look at maps
0: no a hundred percent yeah you really got to get into the mindset and yeah hundreds of thousands of years Yeah.
1: because especially when it's you know you're looking at okay well i've got a plunging fold so i know what uh, Plunging anticline, so I know what that's going to look like on a map. And you see that pattern on the map, and then you go into the field and you're looking around, you're going, "Where?"
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Very few places are you like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> Not everything can look like Sheep Mountain.
1: Well, and yeah, those are the you know a lot of the field trips in undergraduate education are to the the textbook examples of this, oh. which is great for learning. But then you. You go to a real life scenario, and you're suddenly very confused.
0: Oh, that was the order of the day yesterday when we walk up to the basement rock, which has meta sedimentary features, and it has granitic features, and it has metamorphic features all within about ten feet of each other. And yep. I thought the students were all going to cry. And I said, "Look, I know that you've learned granites are over here, gabbros are over here." Welcome to real life.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> but that got their brains going and they had to make a lot of connections. I bet they'd light up an fMRI.
1: Oh, that's an excellent transition <laughs> to this week. <laughs> Fun Paper Friday.
0: Yay! Is that your baby Tim Cowbell?
1: Yes. Yeah, so thanks to listener <laughs> Tim. I now have two cowbells that came to me in a pelican case.
0: Oh, so jealous.
1: Uh, this is awesome. So one of them he uh, made out of metal and did a really nice job on, on the metalwork here, some nice brazing and uh, made it look pretty awesome. It's got a bolt inside for the clacker. And then since I was complaining about not having a travel cowbell, uh, he learned about carbon fiber and made me a carbon fiber cowbell with a nylon clacker
0: oh i love it so much that's so awesome tim thank you thank you thank you
1: he he called it my tsa approved cowbell (laughs) so i'm going to test that on my trips uh this is what the tsa approved cowbell sounds like that's beautiful exactly
0: that's
1: beautiful so i'll I'll put a picture of these on our social media but thanks again tim (laughs) these are awesome
0: oh that's great well, my brain neurons are firing listening to that cowbell, too. <laughs> and obviously, that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, and so, you sent a, you know, we'll post the little Discovery Magazine article about this poster, which is also linked in there, but it's called The Neural Correlates of Interspecies Perspective Taking in the Post-Mortem Atlantic Salmon, an Argument for Multiple Comparisons Correction by Bennett et al.
1: And this was presented at the Human Brain Mapping Conference, (laughs) which I tried to find, they mention in here that he's had some difficulty getting this published, and... (laughs) Uh, You know, I haven't found it published, so it may not have happened.
0: Oh, but here it is anyway. And it's probably got more views than a lot of posters at that conference.
1: Yes, and the the whole idea here is we've talked about before on a lot of these medical papers, well, you could manipulate the statistics to say whatever you wanted to say to get your paper out, right? Right, yeah, exactly. And so uh, (laughs) to prove this point and how fMRIs, if you don't do the, Proper corrections with edge are functional MRIs. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't do the proper corrections, you can get whatever signal you want. And to prove this, they put a dead salmon in an MRI.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so the subject was one mature Atlantic salmon <laughs> who was not alive at the time of scanning. <laughs> and i love this so much um this is all the methods section of the poster so the task administered to the salmon involved completing an open-ended mentalizing task the salmon was shown a series of photographs depicting human individuals and social situations with a specified emotional valence so basically they're asking the salmon to say what emotion do the people in the photo
1: right So they would show, you know, two people screaming at each other and say, what do you think their emotions are? (laughs) And they did this for, uh, they showed the photo for 10 seconds. There were 12 seconds of rest. There was 15 total photos. So for five and a half minutes, somebody was sitting in a room talking (laughs) to a dead salmon (laughs)
0: Ah, ah.
1: while an MRI was running.
0: Okay, but that's not what's scary. What's scary is stuff came out of the MRI.
1: (laughs) Right, so they actually were able to show if you didn't do... Uh, this uh, multiple comparisons that, that multiple comparisons correction, that you would get something that looked significant and looked like signal that said, this area of the salmon's brain is responsible for determining emotion.
0: (laughs) Hey, I think that maybe, maybe we don't need to do these corrections. Maybe dead salmon are still sentient.
1: Yeah, I would... (laughs) Doubt that.
0: (laughs) And they did
1: the corrections later and said, look, and when we do the statistics right, when we're honest about how we're doing this, the signal goes away.
0: So what was mind-blowing to me is that in this Discover Magazine article where they're talking about it, they say that lots of people don't accept that. Reviewers say, no, because you're going to lose signal if you do this correction. That's crazy.
1: Well, and... Losing a few real signals is much less consequential than a bunch of false positives.
0: Yes, exactly. And so, you know, they talk about all the different signals that you can see. And so they suggest that maybe we show the corrected and uncorrected so people can see for themselves what the data looks like, which just goes to this whole, like, all data should be made public anyway, if you're going to do this. And by yes. this I mean science.
1: <laughs> and I am really disappointed that there's not a video of this test.
0: <laughs> you know, somebody was like, if you video me doing this, I'm going to end you.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> so this is really interesting. And I mean, while it's funny, it's also really important. And it's actually too bad that they can't get this published for that exact reason.
1: Right, because it's going to make a lot of recent studies yeah. come into question.
0: Exactly. And it should be questioned. It's science.
1: Yes, it absolutely should be. This is part of the whole publisher parish mindset, which we've talked about before.
0: <gasps> yes.
1: <laughs> where we're we're forcing people to, to get funding, to get tenure, to do whatever, uh, to publish things that are of questionable scientific value or integrity.
0: Right. Just because the pressure is so much to do that instead of rewarding, you know, real scientific pursuits and good teaching. But that's my own soapbox.
1: Yes. (laughs) But uh, I think a pretty good way to say that, look, what you're doing is silly is to say, well, using your methods, I can get a strong signal from an emotional center of a dead salmon.
0: Mm. And here's this very well put together poster to prove it.
1: <laughs> yes. And the poster is nice. It it almost reminded me of uh, the, their method section where everything is broken down nicely mm-hmm. of those medical journal abstracts.
0: Uh, right. Exactly. That's what I mean. This is totally legit. You would not assume this was funny at all until you read it. <laughs>
1: Right. And I also love the domain. The poster is hosted at (laughs) prefrontal.org.
0: Yes. (laughs) That's very good.
1: (laughs) Uh, But if you are looking at the Discover Magazine article, uh, it's not obvious, but the red text, which is the title of the poster at the top, is a hyperlink to the actual poster.
0: Yep. So give it a look because it's very well done.
1: So Bennett et al., good job. You can come on the show anytime to talk (laughs) about talking to Dead Salmon. Uh So, Shannon, if folks have a fun paper that they would like us to talk about, pictures of them hiking on hogbacks out there in Colorado, (laughs) or anything else I think we should know about, how can they get a hold of us?
0: Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're on Twitter. John is at geo underscore Lehman. I'm at Shannon Doolin you can uh, check out some of our field camp pictures that we're posting um, by looking at the hashtag or the person OU underscore sgg and you can see some of our field camp action pics uh, hang out on the slack chat room on um, the don't panic channel software underground and as always thank you to our patreon supporters for keeping us going if you'd like to support us you can do so on patreon.com slash don't panic geo
1: and until next week remember don't panic